to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. You know, I know that we're not like, we don't have like this huge production with camels coming down the aisle and so forth, but we try to at least around Christmas time present Christmas in a way that brings us there. I mean, last night, how long did I spend trying to find the shirt that would match my Christmas tie just for you today? And then, and then uh, they actually put lighting in that matched my Christmas tie and shirt. You see that? That was not on purpose. I'm just teasing. But, um, you, know, we, you know, we try our best to do that. But I want you to compare that to the original announcement. I want you to put yourself back there when the shepherds were just minding their own business and taking care of things out in a field in, in the middle of the night, and this angel shows up in front of them. And begins to declare, I don't even know if I could hear what the angel said, if he just shows up in front of me. And the angel says, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And I'm sure he said it with enthusiasm, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You see, a whole, you know, field of angels, I don't know how many were there, but a lot showed up and were worshiping and shouting to the king. This little child would become king, not on an earthly throne, but he would rule and is ruling through the hearts of his people. To understand the rule and the reign of Christ, you have to look from the inside out. I know that when we pray and intercede and we're praying for God to change even world events and we pray for, you know, um, uh, miracles in our families and, and I know that prayer is effective and I know that angels get involved and there's a lot that goes on when we pray. We can move mountains with prayer. So I'm not taking away from that, but let me tell you something. God is after something when we pray. He is after the heart of man, of men and women. He is after our hearts. First and foremost, the strategy of his answers to prayer will be based on how to get into your heart and into the people's hearts that are involved in what you're praying toward. That's what he's after. This king rules in and through our hearts. In fact, when he changes the circumstance, I believe God's, God's uh, first choice would be that he would move the heart, even of a king, to change the circumstance rather than just magically changing the circumstance. God is after the heart of men and women. He rules the world through our hearts. This joy that the angel spoke of is a gift. It's a gift that comes with the nature of Christ in our hearts. Now, I'm just helping you catch up because I spoke about this last week. 
But Jesus came with something. He came with the very character and nature of God himself. The Son of God, God become man, lived out the nature and character of God himself. But he didn't keep that to himself. In fact, he died and he rose again, and then he sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit now in us has the character and the nature of Christ himself. See, let me, let me explain it this way. Uh, you know, we think that, you know, the disciples had it really made because Jesus was with them in the flesh. Jesus only was on the earth for about 33 years. That was not his primary purpose. That was the beginning of something. And he came to walk that out with these men so that they could launch what he was really after. And see, I know we think that if Jesus were to, you know, walk in the door right now, I mean, man, talking about joy. I mean, would we rejoice if Jesus walked in the door? Yes, I mean, we'd go crazy if Jesus were here in the flesh like he was with his disciples or Mary and Joseph. We, we would just go crazy, right? Yeah, but let me tell you something. That joy that you would express over him being here in the flesh is nothing compared to his nature of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What did I just do? That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, those are the character and nature of Christ himself. It is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. It's not just Jesus here, the Holy Spirit here. It's the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Father. Same Spirit. Just like Craig, or you can look at your neighbor, has a Spirit. And so there's a Spirit, little s, not Holy Spirit. There's the Spirit of your neighbor. And when you get to know that person, then the Spirit of that person kind of shows up. In fact, as you get to know a person, you kind of know their spirit. You know what they're like. You know what their attitude is like. When you think of them, you will think, hopefully, positive thoughts. Hopefully, your thoughts of the negativity will be small, <laughs> okay? But that you would think positive thoughts of your neighbor because their spirit in, in relationship to you is more positive than negative because there's a nature in all of us that we express. Jesus has a nature. And, and in the Bible, that, those are the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus was with his disciples demonstrating the nature. But when he died and rose again and ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, now the very nature of Christ in the, his Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, it is in me when Christ comes into my heart. We just sang this morning, never leaves me. And so I can enter his presence, no problem. He, 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 he shed his blood for this so that there's no barrier between him and me. I can have a really bad day. I can do something that's not right, and I can still walk into his presence. In fact, that's what he wants me to do, is to walk into his presence. And there's no hindrance. He's not stopping me. He wants me 
the entrance into his presence is like, but what he's after is that I learn how to abide in his presence. And the more I learn how to abide in his presence, his nature, his character that's in me begins to rise up. The more I abide in him, it's not like I'm forcing being like Christ. It's that his very character and nature is coming alive in me as I worship him and have more of an intimate relationship with him. Learn how to walk with him in the good times, the bad times. You know, it's really cool, you know, that that you can be really weak and know that you have him to go to to become strong. It's really cool that when you even sin, you have him to go to for forgiveness and restoration. Even when you are, you know, having a bad day or a rough time or a terrible experience that you're walking, that you have him to go to who can strengthen you and give you wisdom and show you what to do, give you guidance. See, that's, that there's an abiding in Christ. And as we learn how to abide in him, even when I'm going through the hard thing, the character and nature of God can come to the forefront. So joy, the joy that's in the Lord is something far deeper. It's a gift. It's a gift that's been given. I've got it. I don't have to pray for it. I don't ask for it. God, I need more joy. I died, shed my blood, and gave you my nature. You already have it. You have it. You just need to learn to abide in me and watch it come. It, the fruit will bear. Did you know that a tree does not struggle over bearing fruit if its roots are deep enough and receiving nourishment? It just naturally produces the fruit. That's the difference. If my roots are deep and strong, then the fruit of his spirit will bear, it will happen. It's a supernaturally natural thing that happens. The gift of joy has already been given to me. Let's say that together. The gift of joy has already been given to me. Now, have you ever had one of those moments when you realize that though you think you own something, you don't actually always completely own it? All you have to do is have children. And you sit at the table and you go to eat your meal and all of a sudden, the food on your plate is not just yours. Have you ever, ever, have you? Or when they turn 16, your car, your car, you thought your car was yours. Your car is not yours anymore. Have you ever noticed that? Really, if you think about it, there are a lot of things that I think are mine, but they don't seem to always be accessible to me. Or somebody else moves in and uses what I have, or takes advantage of. In fact, at this stage of my life in, with the Lord, I can tell you something. I can tell you that by God's design, everything he gives you is not really yours. In fact... Anything God has given you did not have a design for you to keep it. 
Actually, everything that God has given you is on its way to someone else. See, God actually designed us this way. Even the breath we breathe. Listen, life given to you. Everything is from God. Every good gift comes from above, the Bible says. Everything is from God. And none of it was designed to be a keeper. It was all designed to be given. Now, could it be that the joy of the Lord was not given just to benefit me? Could it be, could it be that anything God has given was not just to benefit me? In fact, if I keep it there, it begins to stagnate. It begins to build self-centeredness in my life. It begins to create a possessiveness about me and a pride and an arrogance that I think I can control what God has given me. No. Could it be that the joy of the Lord in me cannot stay put. That this too is on its way to someone else. Joy, like all of the character and nature of God, is to you and through you. Let's look at the Christmas story this week. You know, the Christmas story is about angels, prophets, the manifestation of God becoming man. It's about our salvation and hope. It's about a joy that I'm doing a series on that has been declared to all the people of the earth. But let's not miss the obvious, visible, understandable part of the story. There is a woman who is pregnant, and she's having a baby. And I guarantee you that all of those pictures we see with the glory of God coming out of the manger and the angel standing around, I guarantee you Mary saw none of that. That this woman was nine months struggling on a donkey to Bethlehem and put outside in with the animals to have her baby, and there were no glorious trumpets sounding when she had that baby. It was real. And so uh, I guarantee you when she had the child that that woman was not only happy, she took that baby in her arms and she cuddled that thing like it was her very own. She fed that baby I mean, she had, listen, I was with my wife five times when she had the child. You know, I, I, I came along, our, we got married right at the point where they started letting the men go in, you know. And, uh, and so, uh, so I was with her all five times, and I can tell you, I can tell you that when she had each one, 
especially the first one. We're going to talk about the first one. But the, when she had her baby, man, let me tell you something. She was not ready to let that baby go out the door in the nurse's arm. In fact, when it did, she would say, Craig, go, go with it. Go with it. It was almost, you could almost hear her saying, hey, that umbilical cord you just cut was ours. That's my baby. Why are you taking that baby away from me? And uh, so I could see it in her eyes, you know. I had to go down the hall and look in the window, and yes, the baby's fine, the baby's fine. You know, now they bring the baby back. They try to keep the baby with the mother as much as they can. And, and so, uh, so I saw that immediate, wait just a minute. You know, a lot of the first-time mamas, and I've been a pastor for a long time now, and, uh, and I've watched my own wife, and I know that the first time you have a baby that... Uh, it's unnerving. It's like the unknown. It's, I'm not sure if I can handle this. What's going to happen when I have this? Will I be able to take care of this baby? What do you do when it does that? What, what about if this happens? What, what do I do? What if I break it? What if I mess up? I mean, there's all those questions are coming through your mind the first time you have a baby. But what happens when the baby's born? I mean, the moment the baby is born. Oh, wait, that baby's mine. I know what that baby needs. What do you mean? This and that. No, no, I can tell you what's going on with that baby because it just changes immediately. That baby is mine. And, but both my wife and my mother experienced the opposite before they left the hospital. Now, I've told this story, and some of you have heard it, some of you not. And it's okay, you can hear it again. When, when uh, I'm, she's in the, it was day two. I went home that night, and I came back the next morning. And so I walk in, and Carol has the baby in her arms, in a rocking chair by the window, and rocking and crying. She's crying. And I'm going, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong with you? Is the baby okay? What's, what's wrong? She said, someday I'm going to have to give him to another woman. <laughs> Carol, he's one day old. <laughs> This is true. And uh, so there was that, that, that immediate sense, even before she left the hospital, it's mine, but it's not mine. Um, my mother tells the story that I, I don't know the whole experience. I mean, I was there, but I don't remember it. But she gave me to the Lord, like Hannah in the scriptures. She just said, Lord, this is your child. And she's had to do that over and over through the years. I do crazy things. And mother says, oh my goodness, is he going to make it? What will happen when this he does? I mean, I do crazy things. And my mother has to go to prayer and just, I got to let him go again, right? I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. And so uh, it's something that you have to walk through. But let me tell you who understood this more than any of us, and that is Mary. Let's watch what Mary went through here. Um, Mary has this baby. This is mine. Look, what, how, look how God has blessed me. I was a virgin. I became pregnant. This is God's child and it's my child. What a blessing. And the shepherds show up. Uninvited. Hey, I just had this baby. You know, I, as a pastor, I thought I had to show up every time somebody had a baby in the hospital. And I learned later... 
they don't really want me there that first day. But the shepherds showed up, and the Bible says, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, you know that the shepherds had to tell them what they had seen. I mean, that would be, it would be ridiculous to think that they didn't do that. They, they told them what had happened and what the angels had said. And so here's what they said to Mary. Mary, Joseph, the, the angel said to us, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. No, 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 wait just a minute. Not all people. Wait, this is mine. In fact, it was kind of weird because what the angel said to us was, to you this day there is, no, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Mary's thinking, to you? The angel said that to you, the shepherd? No, 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 no. The baby was born to me. I had this baby. You didn't go through what I just went through. That baby was born to me, not to you. I'm sure she didn't react like that, but I'm sure that is a strange thing, that the angels would show up to shepherds and say, to you this day a baby is she hears this, goodwill toward men. The Bible says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was having her moment of realizing he's not really mine. I just have him as a loner (laughs) to take care of. To raise, but Simeon, 40 days later, shows up in the temple. Now, we don't think that Mary and Joseph knew him, and as I said last week, Simeon walks up, and he's just a godly man, he's not even a priest, and he walks up, he sees the baby, the Holy Spirit is telling him who this baby is, the Messiah, and he grabs, if you tried to grab one of our children at 40 days from my, mom, my wife's arms, you're going to have maybe a fight on your hands. You know what I mean? And so he's grabbing that baby out of her arms and lifting and begins to pray to God. And here's what he says to God, but Mary listening. Lord, you have prepared this child before the face of all peoples. She hears that. He says he's a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. She's realizing this child is not mine. He turns to Mary and he says things like, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And he finally says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Again, whose child is this? And in this little section with Simeon, it says, verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They were taking it to heart. Now, I want to uh, quickly show you the Christmas story. You know, it's, all, it's, all, it's, it's throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, but maybe you never thought about the Christmas story being in 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, I'm going to show you the Christmas story. 
in verse 20, 21, it says this. He indeed, Christ, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. Now, that, that's God becoming man, Jesus, you know, coming out of the womb. This is the Christmas story that God was, mani- it, Jesus was manifest in these last times. He's referring to that age. And he says it this way, but he was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God. Christ was given for you, and he's talking to the whole body of Christ, for you, he's really talking to all peoples, for you Christ was given, was manifest, was born into this world. He was born for you who through him believe in God, not just Mary and Joseph. Now, I'm sneaking up on you. Back up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That rejoicing and trials show up in the same verses. I read you two of them, two sections last week. And I, this, is, this is a little bit of a throwback, but just... Don't forget this now. This was my message last week, that you have to fight. I said for joy. Peter, Peter said you fight from the position of joy, which goes with what I'm telling you today. You already have it, right? And so, so li- listen now, listen. When you're going through a struggle and you allow the joy of the Lord through your abiding in Christ, the joy of the Lord to take hold, you become dangerous to darkness. You become dangerous to hell's gates when the joy of the Lord is, 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 is present in you even when you're going through a struggle. That is a sign to hell that hell is in trouble, okay? So, so don't, don't lose that. It's, all, it's through all the Scripture, and this is, I'm, I'm just, I'm refeeding that into your head because I want you to catch today the depth the depth of this joy. In verse 6, I read that. In verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anything you're going through, God will use to push out of you His character and His nature to give praise and honor and glory to him. Verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. You can't see him, but you love him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. When you make a list of all the scriptures talking about joy, You stop on that one because of the phrase inexpressible and full of glory. What what joy is that? What is that? I looked it up, that inexpressible. In fact, in your, uh, the Bible you read out of may use the word unspeakable joy, unspeakable. Another word for it is unutterable. In other words, you can't describe this joy. 
you cannot fully express the joy that is in that deepest place. This is a different kind of joy than just getting happy about something. And, you know, let me say it this way. Whatever joy you can express is not as deep as this joy. If you can express it, it doesn't fully define the depth of this joy. Now, I, I know that we rejoice in the Lord. Now, that's a little, that's, in fact, that's one way we bring the joy to the forefront. We rejoice. Worship, when you worshiped a while ago, the joy of the Lord chased out a lot of junk from your mind. Did you notice that happens? When you truly, intimately worship God and you just connect and you kind of force yourself at times to worship Him, that the, the stuff gets out of the way. I mean, joy is a dangerous thing to darkness, see? And l- let, me, let me tell you, though, I, 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 would, I, I get annoyed sometimes with people who are over-exuberant. Don't you? I do. I mean, people can just get in your face. Rejoice, brother. You're supposed to rejoice, brother. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah. Come on. I mean, I get annoyed with people. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Now, listen, I've got friends like that who are genuinely like that because of their personality. You, you have to, I've got several, and I can name them, and a few of them you know, that you actually have to peel off the wall. They're just always in your face, seem to be excited about something, and, uh, you know, and so, but that is the expression of joy, but that doesn't fully define. That doesn't mean that the person who is quiet-natured cannot have the same level of depth and the depth of this joy I'm talking about, the ability to express it does not define what it is. In, in fact, listen, I'm one of those guys. I've just learned over the years to be reserved because I can scare people. That's what I've learned. I've learned that I became obnoxious to some people. And I still get obnoxious to the devil when I'm alone. So I'll just tell you, I don't mind telling you, you know, I just, you kind of don't care at some point. I mean, when I'm alone, Carol's about to take a trip, I'll, I'll be alone in the house and I'll, I'll try not to let the neighbors hear me shout and worship and pray hard, you know, and come against darkness. And I do it when, sometimes when I'm alone in the building. I came one day and there were no cars and park. I walked through the prayer entrance over there and I walked into the back hall over there, and I was, I don't know, I was thinking about something, I just, you know, in the name of Jesus, and I'm loudly declaring, and then Lauren Sperry pops out into the hallway, everything okay, what's wrong? (laughs) I'm sorry, man, I'm just praying, I'm just praying. This happened over in the office house when I'm upstairs, and I think nobody's there, but somebody's downstairs, you know. And, uh, and I just, I have, oh, no, somebody's here. They heard me. See, and I, I just, I can't stand people like that. And I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. All right? Okay, so, so that doesn't define, though, the depth that is in your I would rather be around people who, because of the strength of their joy, there's just a little smirky smile on their face, and you know that behind that smile is depth and wisdom and experience. 
I'd rather be around people, listen, who have learned how to, you know, keep a positive mouth instead of a negative one because of the depth of their joy. Who they're going through a really hard time, but you would never really know it because they don't talk about it constantly, because they've learned to talk positively. That is the depth of the joy I'm talking about. It produces the character and nature of God. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about an over-exuberance. We're talking about the depth of the strength of your rejoicing in the Lord, in your worship, and in your heart. You can't, ex- you can't explain it. Have you noticed that? You cannot explain it with people. But, but, and you can't really express the depth of that joy, but you can share it. You can give it. Okay, I'm going to take you a step deeper as I close. There's a scripture in the Bible that you all know you would be able to finish my line when I said, but you don't know where it is. I doubt mo- a few of you would, but not most of you wouldn't even know where it is because Jesus said it, but it's not in the Gospels. And he says this, Paul said, Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hmm. Now, when God gives to me, I receive it, and I am blessed. I mean, I give thanks to God for everything. See, I'm trying to work on that constantly, giving thanks to God for what he's doing, what he's given. Everything comes from him. And so I give thanks because I am really blessed. But what this is saying is that that's one level of blessing when you receive it. But if you want to know the real depth of the blessing, take what you've been given and give it. It is more blessed. You'll be more blessed when you give it than when you received it. You see that? In fact, heaven operates this way. This is the nature of God himself. John 15, 8 through 10. Jesus said this to his disciples just before he went to the cross. By this, my Father is glorified. My Father is glorified. He, you know, the fullness of him is expressed that you bear much fruit. When you bear your fruit, the Father is glorified. When what he gave you, you give, when you bear it, he is fulfilled, glorified. He said, he, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now keep that thought, because I want you to see, I want you to connect the dots on these next couple of verses. If you keep my commandments, these things I've spoken to you, that Jesus said this, these things, I've spoken these commandments to you. That your joy, no, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What do you mean you gave me a commandment so that the joy, your joy, would remain in me and that my joy would be made full? The next verse explains what he's saying to them. He says, this is my commandment. See, this is where you have to connect the dot. This, he's, he said, now, I know I said commandment. But this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
and you're really blessed when I give you my life. You're really blessed when you receive my joy. But you're only halfway there. You are fully blessed. Even the Father experiences the fullness of His glory when it's given. For God, God is love, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There is more joy in heaven. There's something going on in the heavenlies that when when what I have received and I give it and I share with someone and they become a believer. So I've given them the life of Christ in me. I've shared it with someone else and they receive it. The Bible says that heaven stops and rejoices. By the way, I don't think they start I don't think they have to go back because in this day right now we know there are between 100 and 200,000 believers people coming to Christ every day right now around the world every day Heaven is rejoicing not just because it's happy it's rejoicing because that's the fullness of the joy was in the giving of the gift Heaven is enacted when the gift is received and then given again. See? The joy, the fullness of joy. Hmm. You know, I've been, I've been messing around with you for 10 years. You didn't even know it. I have a little gift. I know it's a gift that God gave me. And I've used it on a lot of people. And so I'm going to tell you about my little sneaky strategy. When you come to me and something's going on and things are going south, I'm going to find a way to change the direction of the discussion. I'm going to pray, Lord, give me, help me take this discouragement and lead it to courage. That's one way to give the gift of joy. Is that, is that, and you, I've done it. I've done it. I'll do it again, and you'll go, he's doing it. I'll turn a negative conversation into positive. I will question what's being said and try to get the mindset to change. That is a gift that I'm giving of joy. You can give that gift too. The other way, the other gift that I'm giving right now is really huge. I've I've already set things in motion. It's been over a year now that I started setting it in motion. And when we get done, it'll be almost two years. It'll be a year and I don't know, eight eight months or so. But right around the first part of June, I'm going to finalize the giving away of this church. Now, you, I, I don't own the church, and yet when we started this church, somebody had to sign the dotted line on being the president of the corporation. That's my name. Now, we have elders, and we, I submit, and we work together, and I'm not a dictator. I know how the body of Christ operates. 
And so we operate that. I don't own the church, but it was mine to give away. And so Pete, you know, is reminding you occasionally because we, we want him to remind you of what's coming. And so, listen, let me tell you something that I've just learned this year. I'm experiencing something, a level of joy that, like, is huge, huge. The more I let go, the more my joy level increases. I I didn't quite anticipate that. I didn't realize how awesome this is. Now, when Pete left five years ago, I didn't like it. I knew it was God, but I didn't like it. And I struggled for weeks. You know why I struggled? Because in my mind, he was being taken. It wasn't until I shifted gears and realized that I had to give him that my attitude began to change. And as we're going through this experience, I'm telling you, he thinks he's experiencing the high, you know, I mean, he's also, you know, working through all the stuff, but he's, 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 he's on the ride of his life and you're going to feel that, but he ain't got nothing on me because as I let go, I'm realizing this is awesome. This is awesome. Don't hold on to anything. Give it, and your life will change. What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to possessions? Are you holding on to relationships? Are you holding on to the story of Christmas and keeping it to yourself? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that we would grab hold of this truth that really the joy that you've given us, the fullness of it is dependent on our giving it away. So Lord, if there's anybody in this room right now who you've never received Christ, you didn't realize what an awesome gift this was. And right now, without any further waiting, just respond to him and say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to be your follower. You are my Lord. Declare that to him this morning. And if that's you, take action just by lifting your hand. I'm not going to have you do anything crazy, but if you need to respond to God this morning and for the first time say, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to follow you. Then raise your hand and let us pray for you this morning. Just let me see it so that I can pray for you. We're all here with a greater challenge. And that challenge is to give what we have received. Now, Lord, lead each of us. Your Holy Spirit can talk us through this and help us to give away what has been given. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son and the power
give that gift to someone.